Hi there, and welcome to the Homestead Education Podcast. Do you have a homestead, farm, or just dream of a rural life? This is a show to help you and your kids grow your own food and grow as a person. I'm your host, Cody Hanner. I'm a homesteader, homeschool mama six, and small town enthusiast. I was raised by an old school rancher and blessed by the grace of God to have been exposed to so much of what rural life has to offer. Join me every week to talk about homesteading, homeschooling, and growth with a homestead education. Hey guys, and welcome to the Homestead Education Podcast. I'm Cody Hanner, and I'm here today to talk to you about relocation. So yes, just me here today. And the reason I felt like relocation was the best topic for right now is because it's that time of year, like kids are getting out of school for the year. It's good weather. People are starting to be able to travel to look at new properties. They are wanting to move over the summer while the kids aren't in school. Um, so it's just, it's a really busy time. I mean, I actually, um, I'll get into my time as a realtor a little bit later, but I actually ran into my old broker at the grocery store yesterday and he said the faucet is turned on. So I knew that this was just the best time to come on and really talk to you guys about relocation, um, as both a homesteader and as a realtor and as somebody who has relocated a few times. So relocation is, I mean, it can be down the street, it could be across the country. And basically, it's more than just a normal move. Um, It's moving to a new place that you have to refigure out how to have everyday life. And I mean, it's it can be a huge positive. I mean, especially if you're frustrated with your everyday life. Um, I know that this is a big move with the new homestead movement is that we, I say we because it's a collective feeling, we're tired with what life has become. We're tired of being consumers. We're tired of not having a connection with our food and with the earth and with our communities. And so... Um, I mean, people are moving in droves to rural locations. Um, and with that, there's a there's a learning curve. I mean, whether you're moving from one rural location to another rural location, or if you're moving from a from a suburban or urban location to a rural location, um, there, there's always going to be a learning curve with that. And so I want to be able to provide you with you guys, provide you guys with some information, some insight and some of my experiences. Uh, first off, my husband and I are both from Northern California. I have shared that a few times, but, um, we're kind of starting our journey over again for this conversation. Um, I, at one point relocated from, my home in Northern California to another location in Northern California. So a lot of life was the same, but for me, I was doing it as a single mom to start going to college. And I moved like three or four hours away from my entire family with at the time, 14 month old twins by myself to be able to start this new journey in my life. And so I was having to learn how to go to school at a new college, live in a new community, Uh, shop at a new grocery store, have my kids at a new daycare and doing it all without any help. And so that was a really, that was probably my hardest relocation. Um, The others I was able to do with my husband, um, who I met uh, after college. 
And um, that made it a lot easier, although challenging in different ways. Um, because when I moved in college, I was looking for a place to rent and um, it was just a different concept where when my husband and I were relocating, we were buying and selling homes and that just adds a whole um, another level to it. And there also was animals involved when we were moving because at that point we had our homesteads um, or small homesteads before we moved to our larger homestead. So um, after my husband and I met, he had recently relocated from North Carolina back to Northern California um, after his first wife had passed away and bought a small um, house in a small farm town on a half an acre. And when I met him, um, he owned that home. And we just really decided that California was no longer a place for us. We looked at some properties in the small farm town that we were in. And I mean, for our price range, we were just really disappointed because we wanted to get a farm. We wanted something a little bigger than what we had. And I mean, even just five acre properties, I mean, were it would have taken every penny we had and I would have to work twice as many hours for a house that was literally falling apart. And I mean, that was just really, really disappointing for us. And I think that that's a story that a lot of people can tell right now that they're ready for something more. And they look at the rural communities outside of their suburban communities where they're working or their kids are going to school and stuff. And they are beyond disappointed with the prices of houses and land. Um, I mean, it's not even possible to get a small house on a small piece of property. I mean, even a half an acre or something that isn't, I mean, extravagant, you know, 200,000, 300,000 plus. And that's, I mean, really ridiculous for starter homes for young families. So at that point, that's when my husband and I decided it was time to start looking outside of California. And we visited his dad up in um, Oregon, which is where his dad had lived since my husband was about 10 years old. And um, my husband had lived there on and off throughout high school and um, early adulthood. So we went up to visit and my husband just took me for a drive around the community just to show me what it looked like where he'd gone to high school and stuff. And it was really beautiful. And it was, it was an adventure. Like when we went, it was January. It was like New Year's Eve. And my gosh, there was probably uh, three feet of snow. And, you know, living in Northern California, even though we had snow in the mountains and occasionally snow in town, I was not used to three feet of snow. But it felt rural. It felt like an adventure. And where we were, it was, you know, in the high desert. And I mean, it's just stunningly beautiful. We had to drive over to Portland for his dad to go to a appointment at the VA hospital. And I mean, just the views of going over the mountains, I was just astonished that I had never really seen that before, even though I felt like I had done a lot of travels. And that's when I kind of realized I was ready for our next big adventure. And I always kind of joke that my husband and I are gypsies um, because we're always on the move, always wanting to try something new, um, always on the go. And so we do, we love to travel. And I mean, it definitely, with our last move, we decided that we can't really be physical gypsies anymore. Um, because 
we love our homestead and we want to really um, build it up. And we do have one of those places that you don't need a vacation from. I think they call them staycations because you're so happy with where you live. But we still have that constant itch. And that's where our businesses come into play. That's where we volunteer with the community. We still try to travel a lot. And that's where we kind of get to enjoy our gypsy blood a little. But anyways, back to Oregon. We talked about it while we were there. We went and looked at this house that, oh my gosh, I swear it was like something out of Sunset Magazine. Beautiful old chalet style home. Oh, I say old. It looked old in the aesthetic way. It wasn't an old house. It was probably maybe only 10 years old. But it had that old look. We actually... um, uh, it was, you know, all stone tile, stone in the shower. Um, the property was beautiful, had a barn on it, five acres, and we could literally afford it for the same price we were paying for a mortgage for a rundown farm, old farmhouse in California. I mean, it was just, it blew my mind. I didn't even realize that that was an option. And I knew that I always had this like desire in my soul to travel and to get out of California. And I mean, I've, I loved California. It was beautiful. There was so much to do, so many opportunities as far as work. But it, the life there just isn't the life that it was even when I was a kid. And I mean, I'm getting up there in age, but I am not that old. So it's really changed quickly. So we actually put in an offer on that house right then and there. We hadn't even talked to our kids, the rest of the family, nothing. But we knew it was right for us. We knew it was the right move. Um, Now, my husband's a VA or, you know, he's a veteran. So we have to buy everything via VA loan, which that never happens quickly. It's that's a pain in the butt. And but we went home and we told our kids and they were so excited. I mean, we like sat down with the big screen TV and hooked up our phones and flipped through all the pictures of the new house and they were over the moon, so excited. So we finished some remodels on my husband's house that he owned. Um, I actually, I put in my notice at my job because I knew that I could get the remodels done quicker uh, being home than if I was still working all the time. We got the house on the market, and within just a few months, we were loading up our truck and heading to Oregon. And that was a really beautiful life for the time that we were there. It ended up only being about four years. Uh, The kids, that's when we decided to start homeschooling. Um, Some of you know our story about that's when my husband got his diagnosis of liver disease, and we had to start making some changes, which that led to our desire to live somewhere other than where we were. We loved the hunting that there was in Oregon. Um, We had some really great friends there. We had so many wonderful adventures because, I mean, we could just walk, you know, base, I mean, we could drive a half hour from our house and there were lakes and hiking trails. I mean, we used to just go hike down the Pacific Crest Trail because it was less than an hour drive from our house and we could drive on a back road right up to it and walk down to these beautiful mountain lakes that most people only get to see if they do the entire Pacific Pacific Crest Trail. So, I mean, we were definitely happy with where we were, but when we realized that in order to afford the lifestyle that my husband needed for his health, which was the lifestyle of growing all of our own food, we did grow a lot of our food before then, but I mean, we hunted, we had pigs, we had chickens, we did a small garden, 
But I realized that in order to feed our family of eight, with the kids being homeschooled now, so they're home eating all the time, um, we needed to be able to have a full garden. I mean, we need not just a garden. We needed to be able to grow all of our own food or have access to farm fresh foods for the things that we couldn't grow ourselves. And that's when we started looking again. And this is when like my real relocation story, I feel like happened because this move was a nightmare. We found our dream home in Northern Idaho. It is the one that we live in now. So at least I can say that the story ended well. But um, we went we had issues with realtors. We had issues getting our property to sell down in Oregon. We kept losing our contract up here in Idaho. I mean, it was just a disaster. And in that moment, I realized there has to be a better way of doing this. The realtors need to be more on like on spot. There needs to be more of an explanation of how these steps work. And there needed to be a way for us to just understand fully what we needed for our move. Um, Even as being previous farmers and homesteaders, you know, I had my ag degree, I grew up ranching, grew up rurally, I knew what I needed. But there was still things that, you know, I'd even ask the realtors, and they would just have no clue on how it worked. I mean, well systems and the climate and growing zones and things like that, that I feel like if you're selling a property in a rural farming community that you should know and understand. And that's what made me decide that even though I didn't need to work, that was my husband and I, we had it set up where I could be home financially and that we were starting the farm and the farm was going to feed us. And that still, you know, is the case. I decided that I wanted to go back to work because I wanted to be a realtor. I wanted to do it better than what I had seen. And I'm not saying I've worked with every realtor there is, but I worked with enough that I was just really, really unimpressed with the process. The process was really focused on the money and not the home that the client was going to end up with or the home that they were selling. And even though, I mean, real estate is a business transaction, This isn't running down to the store and buying a chapstick in the checkout line and you either want the chapstick or you don't. This is, you know, people paying $500,000 to a million dollars on a piece of property that their realtor can't even give them the basics of what they're able to do with it. And then the realtor's parting line is always... Well, you need to do your due diligence, which due diligence is you saying, okay, I want to be a farmer on this property, but so that means I need to know what the irrigation laws are. I need to know what the soil content is. I need to know, I mean, the list just goes on. But then you have, if you try to put into your contract that you want to do an inspection, which an an inspection could just be your due diligence, or it could be bringing an inspector to do a home inspection or any other type of inspection. You can get a well inspector. You can do anything you want. As soon as you put in there that you want to do an inspection, that takes away a bargaining piece in your contract. And when you take, when the markets that some people are looking at right now, like I was working in North Idaho where the market was so hot 
that if you put anything in your contract that made it not a 100% clean contract, there were some realtors that wouldn't even look at it. I mean, they would just tell their clients, like, we're going to sort out everything that requires an inspection. And the clients were like, okay, I only want the easy ones. I only want the easy money. Now, on the flip side, the realtor has to consider that they have some liabilities and stuff. So if the realtor is sitting there trying to tell you, um, you know, what the soil content is, and they have no clue what the soil content is, it's that could put them into a situation where if they're like, oh, yeah, you can you can farm this, not, no problem at all. But turns out the reason it was able to be farmed is because they were putting thousands of dollars into fertilizer into the soil every year. That could be some implications for the realtor possibly as well, like a civil suit. Um, and maybe not necessarily, but it puts the realtor out there, makes them put their neck out. And that was what, that's the part that really bothered me is there wasn't a way that there was like this quick guide for people that were trying to buy land and needed to be able to have quick answers to all the things that they needed to know as homesteaders or moving to a new rural community. They couldn't put an an inspection clause into their contract to buy a home and their realtor couldn't give them an answer and the realtor's pushing them to um, put in an offer quick. And honestly, when I, my time as a realtor, I had to push people to put in an offer quick because these are people I had worked with for a long time. I knew what they wanted. And if I found what they wanted, I knew how fast the market was and how quickly we needed to move to potentially get them into this property that I knew that they wanted. But then these questions would come up. And like I said, there was no quick answers. And even the practices that I put into place as a realtor, there's still some things that there are just no quick answers. I mean, I'm going to give an example of one. It's called a perk test. And a perk test is a percolation test of land to find out how fast the water drains through the dirt um, at a certain depth to know whether or not you can put a septic tank on that property and if the leach line will filter out um, the water and stuff like that in a timely manner. Um with a perk test, if there's not already a perk test in place, sometimes that can take weeks to get a perk test. So if you put in an offer on a piece of raw land, like a vacant land, nothing on it, but you want to make sure that the property perks because it's near a lake or a river or something, which when there's um, water nearby, it perks slower or certain waters You can't have a septic tank a certain distance from waters because obviously there can be contamination issues. So when people go to buy this piece of land, they're like, well, is it going to perk? That's a pretty big answer that they need to know whether or not they can build a home and put a septic tank on this property. And for those of you who don't know what a septic tank is, um, some in municipal communities like you know, uh, towns and small neighborhoods and stuff, there's sewer lines. Well, in the country, you can't have a sewer line running to every single property. It would be totally impossible. So a septic tank is a large tank that every, um, all the water from, you know, toilets and showers and sinks and everything runs into. Now that tank, I think is about, I think they're like 3000 gallons. I can't remember exactly, but the, 
obviously fill up with water, but then all the solid waste floats to the bottom. And as they fill up with water, that water will drain off the top. And that's the leach line. And so, you know, people will kind of joke like, oh, the best grass in my yard is by the leach line because there's always water there. But that water is like the gray water. It's um, generally not contaminated, but you know, it's leaching through the dirt. So any contaminants are being pulled out and stuff. So I mean, may not want to grow your garden there or heck, you might want to I hear of some people who use compost toilets for really great gardens. But I think that's a whole nother conversation. Maybe I should get somebody on here, um, a guest on the podcast to explain how human compost toilets work. But I digress. <laughs> Anyways, I feel like that was a lot of information. But I also feel like it's information that people just don't have that explained to them all the time. And then they go out and they try to buy raw land and they end up in a situation where they try to put an offer in, they want to know if it's going to perk. So they put the perk test in that they want to see the perk test done in the contract. Well, then it might take a month for the perk test to happen. But people that are selling raw land, usually raw land is a cash sale. So they're trying to push that to close faster they don't want to wait the amount of time that it takes for a perk test to go through. Plus a perk test can be like a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars. Who's paying for that? And sometimes it's the landowner, sometimes it's the buyer. Um, sometimes that's part of the contract that they're splitting it or something. But all these things are going to hold up a sale or make a sale really complicated. And if you don't understand like the importance of it or how it really works, that can be a really confusing process. Like, why do I just have to pay $1,500 for somebody to come dig a hole out on my property or my potential property? And now I'm not even going to be able to, I may not even be able to buy this property because of this like perk test that I don't even know what a perk test is. I mean, I could see that being an incredibly frustrating situation. I haven't been on the buyer side of that, but I've been on the sell on the realtor side and it's really hard and it's really frustrating for people who don't understand these concepts. And I'm having to tell them that, yeah, you're going to have to pay $1,500 to know if you can get a septic or you have to buy this property and hope you can get a septic. And that's not fair either. Um, so again, kind of like circling back to why this is an important conversation for homesteaders. Now, Anybody who's buying raw land, whether they're a homesteader or not, needs to know if the property is going to perk. But as homesteaders, we kind of start going into this area where we want to do things ourselves. We want to save money. Um, I mean, everybody wants to save money, but as a whole, homesteaders are a pretty frugal bunch. And so it's not cookie cutter. Like you don't just go... Like, it's not like every house in the neighborhood has the same specifications. You move to a rural location and there are not two houses, two properties, nothing that is the same. And it makes for a really big difference. It makes it really hard to compare prices. It makes it really hard to compare um, the amenities on properties. And it can be really overwhelming. Like, I remember when we were looking for our property in Idaho, I mean, oh my gosh, it was 40 acres of hilly land versus 30 acres of flat land versus the bigger house, the smaller house, the nicer house, the bigger barn, one has a well, one's on community water. And I mean, just nothing was exactly the same. And I'd have to go home at night after looking at properties and compare all of these properties to each other. 
that there was nothing that was alike about them. So it all had to go on gut feeling what I knew that we wanted from our homestead. Um, you know, I mean, there was even things like one of the properties we looked at had a milk room. And I was like, well, that's really cool. And my husband's like, we don't have dairy animals. And I was like, I know, but we might want to, or we might want to let someone borrow it, or we could use that milk room for meat processing because it's a very sterile environment or set up to be a sterile environment. And we kind of hemmed and hawed about it. Well, of course, I'm happy with the property we ended up with, but we have four dairy cows now and no milk room. (laughs) So definitely have an idea of what you want to do, but it's going to change. So you also want to find properties that have uh, certain necessities that you need. So, or, you know, the ability to have those necessities met later. So like the barn we have now, it's a, it's a very simple barn. It's just, it's got a gravel floor. It's an open floor plan, but it has power and water in it. That right there makes it where I can expand on it. I can build the milk room. I can, you know, I can turn it into a farrowing barn for pigs. I mean, I just, I have all those options to do whatever it is that I want to do with it, even though it doesn't, it isn't 100% set up the way I want it. So that's something that you can consider. Now, I mentioned before moving from suburban to rural um, communities. Rural people have traditions and they can be very different from suburban communities there's things about what uh, community things you stay out of, meaning, you know, like kind of minding your own business type stuff. And I'm not even trying to be a jerk about that. People move to the country so they can do things the way they want to. And that's probably why you moved there too. So, you know, if they want to sunbathe in their underwear, let them sunbathe in their underwear. I mean, unless you have a direct view of their yard, but chances are you don't, but maybe you drive down the driveway and you might be able to get a glimpse of it. That's, that's their business. And there's a lot of other things on this list. I'm just using that as an example because everybody always loves hearing about their neighbors and their underwear. And it's even a joke that we have. Um, our neighbor's hot tub is way up on the mountain and They have it overlooking the beautiful valley, but it also overlooks our front patio, which is where we live to sit at night. So we joke that, you know, if we had binoculars, we'd be able to see them in their underwear. But that's the beauty of living rurally is they don't care what we do and we don't care what they do. And we kind of just keep to it that way. But I guarantee you, if I need something, they would be here in a heartbeat. Like, I mean, done deal, they would be here. Like... And that's the part that's really beautiful about it. But with other rural traditions, you know, things like getting involved with parades and county fairs and donating your time and money where you can to community events. When you don't do that in rural communities, it's more noticed than when you don't do it in large communities. Um, In rural communities, I mean, when the fire department has a barbecue They need everybody in the community to show up. They need them to help set up and take down. They need them to um, pay tickets for the food. They need them to, you know, buy raffle tickets because that is how your fire department runs. And when multiple people aren't showing up because they don't realize the importance of these types of community events and traditions, that can actually affect like your ability to be saved in a emergency situation. 
And the rest of the community remembers that you're the people that never show up to anything. And it just, it stands out. And I hate to even say that that's a thing, but it really is a thing. Like I can tell you certain people in our community, we live in a very small community outside of our even like next largest town community that were active in both communities. But we notice other people notice when um, people aren't showing up to these events and helping out in any way that they can. So um, that's something really to consider. And that's also a great way to get to know your neighbors. Because like I said, when I know if I need anything, my neighbors would be here in a heartbeat. So there's some things that you probably don't even think about when you're looking at relocation. One of them is medical services are not the same. Emergency services are not the same as they are in um, suburban and municipal communities. For an example, like I was just talking about the fire department fundraising. These are volunteer fire departments. Most rural fire departments are volunteer. There's nobody getting paid to run that department or possibly maybe just the chief is getting paid or maybe an administrative assistant. But all the guys that would show up at your house, if you had a fire or a medical emergency are volunteer guys, guys that just go and train, you know, maybe once or twice a month and then they have their shifts or they show up when they can. My husband's on the volunteer fire department. They have training every week. But some of it's they go and they work on the equipment, some of it's medical training, some of it's fire training, and they make it when they can. I mean, they get that this is a small community and that my husband's also a baseball coach and a 4-H leader and he can't always make it to every training, but he shows up to every fire call that he can. If he's in town, he shows up to the fire call because sometimes he is the only person showing up. And remember that when you think about these guys. Um, Another one is ambulances. Sometimes those are 45 minutes out. Um, This is one where you want to make sure that you have life flight insurance. Um, Usually that's about $100 a year for a family and could save you $80,000 if you need to be life flighted out. So um, there's not one single place that I can give you like a link to go look up life flight insurance because it's usually a regional thing. So you'll just have to look up life flight insurance for your town or county or something. Um, well water, there is not, um, community water in a lot of locations and some locations there are because the water is so deep. I actually live in a community where a lot of the wells are 700 feet deep, which is just insanely deep and costs so much to drill. So even the wells that are here that are 700 feet deep are, they were drilled, you know, 20, 50 years ago before they cost what they cost now. And so there's community water districts where there's a spring coming off a mountain or something. It gets put into wells or tanks and then that water is pumped out. I'm sure in a lot of um, like Midwestern communities, when you see the water tanks over town or water towers, that's that water is pumped up in there and then it's gravity fed back out to the community. Uh, But a lot of people have to have wells and wells are expensive to drill Um, If you buy a property that already has a well on it, there's maintenance, there's upkeep, there's um, treatment of the water. Sometimes the water needs to um, have bacteria killed in it. Sometimes the water needs to have salt added to it because it's a hard water. There's just, there's a lot of things that need to happen um, that isn't just you buy a house or build a house and there's water there. 
Um, another one is there's other municipal services that aren't standard. Uh, garbage service. There is not residential garbage service in my county. Meaning that, uh, well, I think in town there might be, like in city limits, but outside of city limits, it's not like you just put your garbage can at the end of the road and a truck comes and gets it once a week. That is not an option. You have to load up your own trash and take it to the dump. Now, we have several transfer stations, which are not like the landfill. It's um, like large dumpsters that you can drive up to and just drop off your trash. Um, And it's free for any residents in the county. Now, for us, because we have a business and a farm, we go through a lot of trash here. So we do have a dumpster and we pay for commercial um, garbage service, which is where the truck comes and dumps a big dumpster. But that's, you know, more expensive than um, having regular trash service. So, I mean, that's something that you have to think about. You need to be prepared to take your few bags a weekend. Or if you have more trash, you need to have an enclosed trailer or something so that um, pests and things like that aren't um, living in your trash or you're not having, you know, neighborhood dogs or raccoons or something getting into it and stringing it all over your driveway. And that's, I mean, that's really something that people do not think about. And I was really surprised that because I had grown up in a location where there was an option for residential trash service, but it wasn't, um, mandated like living within the city. So we always hauled our own trash. Um, so those are, I mean, it's something to consider. It's questions to ask and just things to be aware of that maybe you're not completely aware of as you're moving to a new location. For some people that grew up rurally, this is just given, but even moving into a new location, I mean, for me, I had worked for a garbage company in my early 20s. And I mean, we picked up rural residential trash all the time. So when I moved to the location I'm in now, it didn't even occur to me that rural residential trash wasn't an option. I just thought it was the same as where I had grown up rurally before, but turns out I'm even more rural now. And so that wasn't an option for us. Um, When I was working in real estate, many of my clients were moving from suburban areas to rural areas for the first time and just had no clue about pretty much everything. And I'm not even saying that in an insulting way. I love that so many people now have the opportunity to raise their families more traditionally and that they have the chances for the first time because of work from home options or selling their homes in locations that had real estate booms to be able to move to areas with lower property prices and start their homesteads and connect with the land and homeschool their kids and all those wonderful things. But they just, they have no clue and I guess I'm going to repeat that that is not an insult. It is, in some cases, just a fact. There are people who do know, but there's some that don't. And it's, it's not because of anything they've done wrong. They just, when you don't know, you don't know. I mean, I think I would move to the city and have no clue, like, on proper etiquette for, you know, like, mass transit and stuff like that. Because I literally have no clue. I, um, I was traveling recently... And I was told by somebody I had to get an Uber to get to where I was going. And I I had no clue how to get an Uber. And I mean, at first they laughed at me. And then I was like, there is no Uber where I live. There's no Uber in the big towns where near where I live. Like Uber is not a thing. And so um, somebody else actually ended up calling me an Uber 
or I guess they don't even, you don't even call for an Uber. You do it through an app. I, I couldn't even wrap my brain around that. Um, because the last time I had called a taxi, I actually had to call a taxi. There was no app. Um, and so somebody got me an Uber and I was able to get where I needed to go, which was a huge relief because I was traveling with my daughter and we had like seven large, uh, suitcases that because we were heading to a conference and I needed to get to my rental car across town and I was like how am I going to fit all of this luggage into just somebody's car and the guy explained to me that he could actually get me an uber with somebody who had a van or an suv that would fit all my luggage but I had no clue how that worked so this is a legitimate thing I mean I now have the uber app and I've used it a couple times in my travels but So I would not be insulted if somebody was like, yeah, you have no clue how to do an Uber because I had no clue. Now, during my time as a realtor, I found that there were very similar and frustrating situations that almost everybody came across. And many of them could have been avoided had they had the answers to all these questions they didn't know they needed to ask. And so while I actually worked as a realtor, I came up with a guide for um, both people buying raw land and then one on how a traditional escrow worked and then some of the places where there would be a difference in uh, traditional escrow, which escrow is the process in time that the land is being held by a third party, which... I mean, I don't know if any of you used to watch Friends. There was that whole conversation of where escrow was. Joey had no clue where escrow was. And so Chandler was going to explain it to him. And Chandler um, didn't know how to explain it to him. And then even during my time working in real estate, I did not have the exact definition of what escrow was. I, I knew how escrow worked. But what escrow was until recently when I was putting together information on relocation for you guys, I finally Googled it. And it's that the land is being held by a third party while um, certain legal proceedings happen and it's not released until that proceeding has completed, such as a purchase agreement. So what it is, is the title company or an attorney or somebody will actually hold the title to that land while we wait for the purchase to go through. And once the purchase goes through, then they release that title. And, you know, whether they release it to you or to um, the company that's holding your loan. Um, Either way, that is what escrow is. So I hope that you learned something there. Um, anyways, um, so I wrote these to be able to help my clients because I saw the questions they had. I saw the confusion that they had and they would come to me with questions all the time. And I felt like I was answering very similar questions for them for each client, but then sometimes the same question for the same client, because when they started looking at properties and they had 10 different properties they were looking at and they were trying to compare this non-cookie cutter situation from one property to the next, they'd have the same questions for each of the 10 pieces of property that they were considering. So I came up with these guides to help them. But what I have done recently is I created two guides for you guys. One is a completely free guide to buying raw land. 
And it walks you through all the steps of buying a property, a, a raw land piece of property to save you as much money and as much heartache as possible. It also comes with a worksheet to be able to compare all these different properties to each other and the steps that you need to go through to make sure that you're going to have a perk test, a septic, power, water, that the soil is usable, all those things that you need to know and take notes of before deciding which property you're going to buy in case you end up in one of those markets where you can't run all of your due diligence like you'd like. This is going to help you make those decisions, even if even if you have a month to decide which ones you want to buy. That's almost worse because then you don't go off of gut feeling. You are going to research every single piece. This is going to help you do that. This is also going to help you before you go in to talk to a realtor to be able to have a realistic idea of how much land you need. Because I will tell you right now that one usable acre is worth 10 unusable acres. So keep that in mind. Everybody has this idea that they're going to buy 10 acres or 100 acres or whatever it is in their head. Decide what you want to do with that land before you ever pick up the phone and call your first realtor. Or apparently, maybe you use an app these days, similar to an Uber. I don't know. But uh, I think you do. Everybody uses Zillow. Although Zillow doesn't work in some parts of the country, like Idaho, because Idaho is a non-disclosure state, meaning we don't have to turn in how much we pay for our properties. And so therefore, it's not going to reflect the same on Zillow as other parts of the country. Kind of on a side note there. Now, another book that I created, it is an ebook called The Homesteader's Guide to Relocating. And it has everything you need to know about relocating to a rural area. It has the things to look for, how to get acclimated, what your new property needs to start a homestead, similar but way more in-depth worksheets than that come with the raw land, and a relocation chart that breaks down all the laws for homestead favorability and homeschool leniency. And it has an easy-to-follow, color-coded system for understanding food freedoms, climate, rainfall, and so much more. Additionally, every icon on this chart can be clicked on so that you can read the full law. So even if you don't plan on running a dairy, did you know that it's illegal to buy raw milk in some states? I mean, part of our food freedoms, part of what we want in becoming homesteaders and moving and living off the land and creating the best food for our families, one of them is raw milk. And you can't even buy it legally in some states. So unless you're planning on raising a cow, you may not have access to these beautiful, healthy, free foods. So make sure that the state that you're considering meets all of your needs. And you can do this with this guide that is only $27. And it has all of the printouts that you need. It has, when I say that there's all these different questions that you need to have answered quick, this guide has links to all of them. You can find out the soil composition in your area. You can find out um, what the growing zones are, everything. And it's broken down by state and then also teaches you how to find that information for each region within your state, as well as all, like I said, the worksheets that you need to be able to compare multiple properties beyond just how many bedrooms they have and 
what you actually need to be a homesteader. So again, that is only $27. I mean, that is less than it's going to cost you to sit down for a long lunch with your realtor to try to get answers to all of these questions. So I'm going to link all this in the show notes. Go check out this guide. And if you have any questions, go ahead and reach out to me because I love educating and I want to be able to help you guys find your dream homestead. Thank you for joining me today at the Homestead Education, and I hope that I have given you something to think about this week. To help others find me, please comment and leave a review on your favorite podcast player. You can also follow me on Facebook at the Homestead Education and Instagram at homestead underscore education. Do you have questions that you would like answered or just want to say hi? Please email me at hello at the homesteadeducation.com. Until next time, keep growing!